Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Chaz Guest. From his initial start in 1986, in a very creative New York City, he forged his artistic life. He specializes in painting with a concentration on portraiture and cultural narratives. After moving to Paris in the late 80s, he worked as a freelance illustrator for Joyce magazine. It was while working at Joyce that he met Christian LaCroix, who encouraged him to apply his illustrator skills to painting. Chez later left Joyce magazine and moved to Docs, France, where he started painting. His practice has since soared. His works are now in some of the world's most prominent art collections, which include Michelle and Barack Obama's, who own two, one of Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, and a portrait of Obama himself. Other collectors include Stevie Wonder, Ambassador Nicole Avant and Ted Sarandis, Angelina Jolie, Oprah Winfrey, and Tyler Perry purchased five. Recent collectors this year include the Bob Rennie Collection, Beth Rudin DeWoody, and the Museum of Art Zazium in La Chiva. In April, the Qingdao City Art Museum acquired his largest painting to date, titled The Tenth. Chaz is currently represented by the Knight Gallery in Los Angeles. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Enjoy this episode featuring Chaz Guest. Chaz, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm glad to feature you. I am so elated and <laughs> so honored that you have chosen me on your show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know we have a lot to talk about, so I'm going to just jump right into it. When did you discover your artistic passion? Um, my artistic passion probably started around seven, six or seven years old. You know, I was um, very enamored by a, by that huge box of Crayola crayons that came with the pencil sharpener on the side. <laughs> and um, I would uh, I would spend my days coloring a lot, you know, um, inspired by the Peanuts characters and there was this thing that came in the newspaper at the time or in some magazines to um, draw the little Bambi or draw a, a lumberjack and you could win $50. <laughs> I mean, the money part wasn't the important, the, uh, the driving part, but it was just the fact that um, um, I was um, challenged by trying to draw that little cute deer. <laughs> <laughs> did, your, uh, did your parents encourage you? No, not at the time. We I come from family of nine, 
So they just as long as, you know, they made us busy. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, he's busy over there. Don't let him bother him. <laughs> There's one less they got to deal with. So they just watch me color, you know. When did you decide to really focus on being an artist? Um, probably when I retired as a, as a gymnast in 1985. And then with the notion that I had to go to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York, I wanted to be a fashion designer. That quickly faded <laughs> about two months of me realizing that I'm not going to fit in this. And so I saw Antonio Lopez, who was this great fashion illustrator in New York at the time. This one article he did for Oscar de la Renta just blew me away. And then the GQ magazine came out and I saw what he did for Missoni. And I declared that I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. So I, I, I met him. He showed me a couple of tricks in fashion and then unfortunately he died of aids at the time and then i took a one-way ticket to paris france and i did my first magazine cover for yves saint laurent that was a joyce paris magazine and uh and then after it was christian lacroix i was hired to do one illustration for this fashion designer who encouraged me to try painting so by the time I got back to New York, I threw myself into discovering how to paint. And ironically, it wasn't about the painting. I was blown away by the rabbit skin glue, the, the, to the priming of a linen canvas. <laughs> I just went right down to the gist of it. And it was the surface that I would prepare to paint on that really, get, that really got me going. And um, so I found what I would do for the rest of my life uh, in 1987 in New York City. And that's when I found out that this was going to be, this is how I discovered my artistic passion. Interesting. It's an interesting journey, a different journey. Uh-huh. It's a movie. So when you start to create work, when you walk into your studio, mm-hmm. How do you feel? How are you inspired? When I walk into my studio now? Yes. Oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so divinely walking in favor. Um, I am, um, I'm just blown away by if a, when a person concentrates, you know, we are, we're such fantastic creatures if we concentrate. So when I walk into my studio and I see and I see my paintings here, uh, paintings that I'm working on and the space in which I've created. Um, I am just so blown away by, if, if you focus, you really can do what it is um, that you wanna do. You, know, you have to be very crafty, be able to move people out of your way or closer to you, whichever. There's going to be very few you, you should move closer to you, but if you're, if, you're, if you're crafty at moving people around, because sometimes it can be detrimental. So I made sure I paid close attention to that. And trust me, this is why I get to, to really enjoy my life as a painter. What do you feel is the purpose of art? The purpose of art? 
Wow. I mean, the purpose of art is to um, is expression. Uh, the purpose of art is to is to record the purpose. The purpose of art is to for me, it's our history. It's that amazing African-American history that's that's not told, um, as did Leonardo da Vinci and Picasso and so on and so on. They recorded what uh, was important to them. And so what's important to me is our um, amazing history. And especially now that it was that it's so misrepresented. So I guess that leads us into the discussion of your painting of their good Marshall. Yes, because it seems so easy to forget these amazing giants. Like makes me happy that third that that uh, Harriet Tubman will be on the twenty dollar bill. This kind of thing. So you're doing you, you're doing the same thing. You're you're trying to steal these people in history so that they won't be forgotten. And so um, you know, one day I woke up and said. Thurgood Marshall needs to be painted. And there's not a painting out there that that really gets me. And so I created it and it wound up in the White House. What other greats have you painted? Um, probably, um, well, oh my goodness, gosh, I don't even take a record of it. But trust me, every probably every day of, of my life, I'm waking up wondering which which other person I could I could paint um but it's been Paul Robeson who was what clearly my hero in this in this in this life um there's um you know I painted um Maya Angelou I painted uh gosh that's really I don't have it recorded in my mind to like bat off like that but um but for the most part is the unsung heroes. Like if you look at a lot of my work, I regard um, those people who made it possible for, for us to be here. Like all those people that picked all that cotton and went through so much suffering and were so strong um, to, um, to have their DNA passed on that lives within me um, and you. Um, it, 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 those are the people that I, that I really, really record. Um, that can pop up in my recollection readily, you know. I'm looking at a picture of you painting a child surrounded by cotton, yeah. a picture of a soldier. Mm -hmm. You know, I painted the Buffalo soldiers. And this is where, you know, my superhero comes from. Um, you know, these, these people need to be recorded. There were women Buffalo soldiers, too. I'm going to do a series of them as well. That they're, they're not recorded in history. Things like that, I try to, like, I, I try to, you know, right now I'm working on what it what must have been like in the, in the, in the 1940 during the war, World War II, which my father fought in. Um, I, and I'm recording what, what, I, what I want to be remembered. And I conjure these stories and I put them on canvas because this is a story that I want to tell. And um, why, why wait for somebody else to tell it? I'm going to take that initiative and I'm going to tell it myself through the medium of painting or sculpting. You paint mainly figurative art. Have you ever leaned towards abstraction at all? 
I mean, um, I didn't do it purposely. Um, it like kind of happened on its own because I remember when I was painting, um, one of the one of the places where I really learned how to paint was in Tokyo in a Montesando area in 1997. I was invited to uh, paint on stage with uh, Kenny Garrett and his band, Kenny Kirkland and um, Jeff Tane Watts and uh, Nat Reeves was on bass. And I just couldn't believe that, 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 this, that this absolute maestro, this genius, who I found out about when he was playing with Miles Davis. And I was like, who in the hell is that guy blowing that horn like that? <laughs> and, um, so he was preaching on the horn, and with my dad being a minister of church and growing up, I was able I was able to recognize it. Like John Coltrane was, father was a minister too, so he had the same thing. So uh, you know, so I I pretty much um, uh, was elated when he asked me to come to um, Japan and, and and paint on stage because those guys taught me how to paint. They taught me how to act, actually let go. And, 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 and actually not think. So it's not an abstraction, but if you look at that, that linear, linear work that I'm doing, it, it, it um, really resembles the Japanese calligraphy or uh, sumie uh, drawing. And um, that's pretty much the way that I start every painting uh, underneath the oil. So it's funny that you ask that because if you were to strip the oil paint from my paintings, you will find an, a very greedy, quick-moving, abstract drawings underneath. When you're working, do you ever think about who your audience is? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, no, I don't even... I never thought about it. Now that you ask me that, the world is my audience. The entire world is my audience. I want the world to see this, but I'm not thinking about that, no. How has your practice changed over the years? Um, my practice has become more, more, um, more determined, I should say. I'm more determined to tell our stories through this medium. Um, I am better at it. It comes faster out of my hands uh, because now I know the hues and my palette and the lines that I'm working with. And I have a, a straight beeline communication with my, with my canvases, with my canvas in front of me. So it's like to my brain, to the canvas, that has become more mature, like it should. Mm -hmm. Anything you do, if you keep doing it, and over tens of uh, years, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, you, you're, gonna, you're just gonna be better at it. This is what I do. How would you define black art? I don't. <laughs> I, I just think that that's probably, if you'd pardon my bluntness, that's the most ridiculous phrase I've ever heard. <laughs> well, well, one of them. Um, because my question would be, why on earth would you try to fit yourself in 14% of a damn pie? <laughs> I mean, I'm an artist. There are artists out there. As Basquiat said, you use other colors too, other than black. You use red, yellow. <laughs> you know, that's just being sarcastic. But black art, I think that you're really. I mean, it's it's, it's quite it's quite ridiculous. 
um, you're doing yourself a complete disservice. Everybody can see that the damn people are black and they can and they talk to you. They know that you are that. Why on earth would you want to uh, put such a title on 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 your fantastic expressions? I'll give you an example. I remember doing my first show in New York in 1993 in Soho and I painted all of the dope musicians that I could think of. Monk, Miles, Coltrane, all of them. They were just, that's the music I listened to and that, and that I loved. And someone, so, someone said, uh, well, why do you paint all these black musicians? I said, I'm not painting black musicians. I'm painting dope musicians. <laughs> You know, and that's what I say. Same thing I feel about, you know, when somebody say black art, they're asking the wrong person about that. I'm such a straight. I'm, I'm, I'm painting. I'm painting and I'm a painter and I'm an artist. Um, the world is 100%, not 14. To be quite on point, would you ever call a Warhol a white artist? I mean, would you call Picasso a white artist? So it's like, why on earth would you stick that? on a person of color. It's sort of like calling someone, calling our ancestors slaves. We have to be very careful with this kind of thing. I was watching this program and they said when the Hebrews were enslaved, that was one part of the program. But then when they got about 15 minutes later, they said, well, when the, the African slaves. <laughs> so they called the Hebrews enslaved and they called the African slaves. <laughs> Very tricky. Be careful. Words are powerful. I was just going to say the power of words. So this year we've, I should say, yeah, the last 12 months, we've experienced COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. As a result, do you feel that the art world, art institutions are in catch-up mode, discovering Black and Brown talent that's always been there? Mm-hmm. And that also ruffles my feathers. It's sort of like, you, you know, uh, because the European-American, better known as white people, it, 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 it's, it's great that we get to experience this uptick. But at the same time, I think of the great artists like Henry Tanner, uh, Jacob Lawrence, Romare Bearden, Elizabeth Catlett, Alma Thomas, all of these great, great painters and artists had no money. They had no, goodness, it just really pisses me off. <laughs> I'm glad. I was buying this one Bearden from the Alex Gold, Goldstein in New York. And he told me stories back in the day, in the late 70s, early 80s, when he loaned Romare Beard in $5,000. So what the hell is he doing borrowing $5,000 from you? And you're sitting here with all of this artwork. And you see, that kind of thing pisses me off. So it's sort of like, like the upkick, uptick that we're going to, we have to wait for this to happen. At one part of me, I'm grateful. But at the other hand, it's like so long to have this heart of inclusiveness. Well, and so I'm not so happy. You see, I'm torn. One part of me, yeah, grateful. The other, I'm a little bit uh, irritated by this whole setup of things. 
Yes, I, I, I agree with you. And I think a lot of people are. And I also feel that we'll look back a year from now and be able to answer some questions that we can't answer now. Right. Uh, is this a trend? Is it not a trend? Well, we have to not let it be a trend. Let's Correct, yeah. wait for other people to tell us when to move or how to move. Let's just copy how the hell, how the hell they stayed relative in the in this thing we call life. Mm-hmm. You know, wake up and be relative. Take this lead. I'm going to take this lead. There's no way you can call, you know, you can call uh, this great art that's out there now a a a, a fad or 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 what whatever. I mean make the right movements so that you will be um, relative forever. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I'm going to change the channel. Mm-hmm. While I was doing my research, I saw that you also, you've been a sculptor at some points. Mm-hmm. I like to sculpt sometimes. Um, it's a bit more time consuming, but um, I, I like to sculpt, especially when it's necessary. Um, when I was in, um, invited to the Gambia, West Africa, by the president at the time. And when I changed the name of that island to Kinte Island, it was before it was Fort James Island. And I thought that that again was just so utterly ridiculous that um, when they told me the name of that island and uh, it's what uh, Alex Haley did, you know, the Roots, the Roots uh, series. And, uh, you know, here I am standing in exactly the same space place, little piece of island that uh, Alex Ellie was. And just to give you an example, they were calling this little island Fort James Island. And, you know, for a person in the, in the spirit that I was in at the time, I'm like, how in the hell could all of these decades go by and you guys are calling this place after this European guy who basically destroyed you? Okay, so the next day I just went to the president and I said, we must change that name. And he did. He is now Kunta Kinte Island. And so for sculpting, I had to create a sculpture that would be um that would be placed on that island. And so when I got back to the United States, I started sculpting, and then I don't know what takes over. It's sort of like this is a sculpture that is necessary. And so um, my hands start moving, my brain start ticking, and and voila, you have this one Mandinka warrior emerging from this baobab tree, uh, throwing the shackles of slavery into the Gambian River and then reaching to his ancestors. And that's what the sculpture is. And so I, I demanded myself to do that. And so it, it came out. So I'm curious, Yeah, what is it about you that can convince someone or people to change the name of an island? How did you make that happen? By voicing it with conviction. There was no bullshit in my, in my tone. It was, it was straight, looking him dead in his eyes, and everybody on, in his office was looking at me like I was crazy. <laughs> to talk to the president that way. <laughs> I had to ask the question, you know. <laughs> I, I, right, right now, I'm, 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 I'm visiting with in my brain, in my recollection, <laughs> me, me standing there telling the president 
<laughs> we got to dig those people out, out of that ground and throw them in the river. He started laughing so hard. I mean, he's like, I like this guy. He made me a goodwill ambassador. <laughs> That's great. Humor, right? Making people feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, let's not leave you. People are powerful. You just have to find your find your place. When I stand and I talk to 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 about something, but it's not me talking. It's 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 all of the forefathers and foremothers coming through me. It's sort of like it's not just me. That's that would be very pompous. I'm my father's son, and then I'm my grandfather's grandson, and so on and so forth. And you know, my female queens in my life. I I don't stand there by myself. I, I come into a place with a whole lot of folks behind me. <laughs> it's obviously strong because they listened and they took action. That's a wonderful thing. Gee whiz, you need to do more of that, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm working on us right now here in this country because it's all whacked. You know, I mean, I need to have a couple of lunch meetings with some of these folks. <laughs> so are you working on any sculptures now or? I would like to very soon. There's a painting called American Boy that I painted on the on the on the uh, a flag, 100% cotton flag. He's standing sideways. He's looking sideways, and his little he's holding a branch of cotton, and his little tummy sticking out like that, and his raggedy pants on. And um, I I I am gonna do a sculpture of that boy. Why? Why that boy? Why that well, image? Because I painted that boy on that flag. Let's see. I must have painted him, no, 18 years ago, I might have painted him. And do you know that he speaks to me the loudest now, that I just want to, I just want to make a bronze of him. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be my next sculpture. I look forward to seeing it. Me too. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. You have a lot of meaning as an artist, what do you feel your role is? My role as an artist is to bring, bring art to the people um, and include our beautiful culture, mine, yours, and just trade and, 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 and this cultural experience, the Japanese culture the, with the, you know, our culture, the, the, should I say Asian, and then the European culture, and then you know, the South American cultures and, and on and on. Um, my role is to, is to have us heard properly through this medium of painting and sculpting. Um, I hope when it's all said and done and, and my days are, have come to a close that I would have left something for um, humanity that would make our ancestors very proud. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much. I, uh, I'm so glad we met. Oh, Phyllis, yes. Uh, oh my God, this is so great. Yeah. So nice. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I'm greatly humbled, trust me. And I, and I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. <laughs>